Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. And today I have a gentleman by the name of Steven on the show. What I'm really excited about is that I have been answering some of the great outreach that I've gotten on LinkedIn where people have said, hey, wait a minute, I have a best boss and I want to talk about them. And so Steven is one of those cases. So Steven, please introduce yourself. Thank you for taking the time. My name is Steven Tomicky. I live in New Jersey. I have a master's degree for international business as well as an engineering degree from Villanova University, Go Cats. Diehard Eagles fan, so I'm excited about this weekend. I've been in the construction, engineering, environmental business on all four sides of the fence, meaning that I've been in the trenches, I've been in the boardroom, I've been an owner of an engineering firm, and then I've been on the project management side, managing staff and also being one of the Indians, so to speak. Yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Glad to be here. Thank you, Christine. That's great. And so I'm just going to dive in with the question that I'm excited to ask you. Can you think of who your best boss ever is? Tell us a little bit more about why you think of him that that way. Well, it's interesting. I said, okay, let me go back to, you know, when I started working when I was 12 years old, how I started working. And, you know, I think the big thing when we were younger and, and it was just a way of life back then, things were different. At least that's what I thought. So in my teens, going into even my 20s, nobody really appreciated anything. You know, you you did your job. Nobody said you did a great job, at least for me. I didn't get any positive reinforcement. It was only negative reinforcement. There was no such thing as a team player, although as as I was part of the team, there was always a good camaraderie. And I, and I, I blame my parents for that, for uh, teaching me and bringing me up right, being the oldest of five. And and then as I transitioned, you know, I went to school, engineering, had a, a lot of job offers when I got out of school. So I was kind of like picking and choosing where my personality fits. I did a lot that back then to make sure I was choosing the right career path. And along the way, there was a number of speed bumps with the wrong bosses, the wrong companies being mistreated, you know, people having tunnel vision you know, unwilling to listen to ideas from a snot-nosed kid graduate in engineering school who might have a good idea. And the list goes on. So as I thought about the question when I originally saw it on LinkedIn, I was like, hmm, what makes my current boss the best boss ever? Well, he calls me every day and asks me how I'm doing. And that was before I had a cancer diagnosis and started chemotherapy back in August. So he's always called you every day and asked you how you're doing. Yeah. Now it's just more often. He says, are you sure? I'm like, Rob, ask me one question. I give you one answer. Ask me again. I'm not. I'm going to give you the same answer unless you have like a couple hour delay. <laughs> you know. And the company I work for has allowed me to work from home, even though my office is a half hour away. And he's the one who said, you know what? You can do the same thing from home. We just will miss him in the office. So. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the things that I mentioned were they're not bullies. The reason I worked there is because he had a heart attack and was out for quite a while. 
and the, the company ownership, which is a 40-year-old family-owned company, one of my friends is one of the owners, and he called up and said, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> Can you come and talk to us? I need some help. And I was babysitting a job site out in Council Bluff, Iowa. And uh, I said, all right, well, yeah, I'll come in when I come back. And I did. And uh, long story short, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. But I was replacing him and two other people. And I was really thrown into the fire. And, uh, you know, after a couple of weeks of recovering, he started to call me every day. And the support was, you know, it was great. But I was doing most of the support as well. So, you know, we created a teamwork environment. And I changed a lot of the processes that were there. And instead of him saying when he got back, saying, yeah, we don't do things this way. It needs to go back the other way. He didn't do that. He goes, oh, these are great ideas. We'll implement them. So that was unique. He's always willing to listen. In the past, a lot of my bosses, presidents of companies, co-ownership, they bully you. Yep. Whether it be a political thing, you know, one of the things that my wife was mentioning earlier from a previous job is that my boss, who wasn't doing too well with the team, decided that he was going to take the project that I had won with a very large uh, beverage company, which was worth millions of dollars, and uh, give it to someone else's credit and took it away from me. Uh, Yeah, that relationship didn't last too much longer. Right, right. But, you know, because of political pressure inside of the company, that person who he had a 10-year relationship with it went to the political side as compared to my two or three year relationship, which is, you know, I know I know companies have it, Christine. It's really sad to be on the receiving end of that. Yeah, it hurts, right? Yeah, it's, and it, it's unjustified, you know, so it's, but, uh, you know, lesson learned there. I would never do that to anybody. Uh, you know, creating a team environment. Well, my current boss has always created a team environment, both as camaraderie with the guys in the field, other people in the office, but he also fosters that between the two of us. You know, we'll we'll sit down and have a meeting about a project and it'll go an hour where should it be less? Probably not because we discuss a lot of the ideas that we have about, okay, let's not just discuss the project today. Let's talk about it two weeks down the road. I have a very unique project management style. I work from the rear end of a project to the front end. So I talk about caveats and what can go wrong. And if we go over, are we responsible for liquidated damages, et cetera. And that was one of the philosophies that I changed internally that everybody understands, okay, where's our risk? And a lot of them, a lot of people don't generally, they don't perceive risk. They just do what they're supposed to do and hope, hope for the best where I'm one of those people that I want to know where my where my risk is coming from and how I can either get rid of it or or understand it. That was something that it was awesome for him to understand and take ownership together with me uh, way that I do that. So that was nice. He appreciates the diversity of thought versus rejects it. So can I if if it's you know, it's up to you if it's too emotional, but I'm just curious, like, can you walk me through the experience of Obviously, you started to recognize something was wrong, and then you went through this cancer diagnosis. What did what did the conversation look like with your boss through that entire process? Well, I, I was diagnosed with cancer in 2017. Okay, I did the radiation thing, 
and it was fine for a couple of years. And they decided that they needed to start giving me light chemo with pills just to keep it at bay. It's prostate cancer. So. Okay. And then after a couple of years, that was working well. And then all of a sudden in this August of this year, uh, last year, I'm sorry, it was uh, uh, kind of like a three-day horrible experience that I ended up in, in the hospital. When I told him I was going, he goes, are you okay? It's like, I'll let you know. And, uh, you know, he started texting me knowing that he didn't want to call me. And, you know, I told him the next day and I was in the hospital for five days. And then when I got out and I told him I was going to get some testing done to find out why this happened, I didn't tell him my cancer was back at that point. We didn't know. Just thought it might have been, I don't know, a kidney stone, something like that. So next week I went through the testing. And then that's when I uh, told him over the phone because I wasn't allowed to be around anybody because my white cells were like zero. So yeah, he was like, all right, what do you need from us? Wow. What do you need from us? Yeah. So he never once was trying to figure out how you're going to work, what he's going to do. Like, no, it's just, what do you need from us? No, and, the, and him, my colleagues, the owners, they're constantly, uh, they sent me food. They sent me uh, fruit. They sent this gift card to go to get like DoorDash. Wow. You know, get well soon. We miss you and don't eat too much. Um, (laughs) You know, and I I did lose 50 pounds going through this. So now they call me Skinny Steve. So (laughs) it's pretty funny. Some of the other things that I worked on him together with is, and some of the things that I had actually talked to him about in the past that I kind of. I kind of was kidding and I gave him a warning, you know, like, don't ever do this to me. And it was more like a uh, conversation we're having now. And I was like, yeah, I've had some bad experiences. Just want to let you know that uh, I won't tolerate that anymore. And he goes, well, what are you going to do? I said, probably, I don't have really a temper, but I probably wouldn't like it. And he goes, well, that's nice. I said, yeah, you know, I'm 6'1", at that point, 270 pounds. And the poor guy is 10 years younger than I am, and he was just coming out of being sick. <laughs> <laughs> he had lost some weight. So he was a shadow of his former self. So that was an interesting conversation. You know, one of the things that I really enjoy about it is when he makes a mistake or when the team makes a mistake, I learned this a long time ago. It's a lesson learned experience as compared to a shouting match or why did you do that or you're fired or you know, it, it it's it's just who he is, and it's who I am too. You know, why would we yell at somebody? Although uh, one of our kids, I'm sure, would have a different a different opinion, right? You know, but the other thing is, he's willing to learn from me, and he's willing to learn from others. So if there's a different way of doing something, you know, he'll be more than happy to give you his opinion. Like, ah, I don't think that's a good idea, or that's a really good idea. Probably the most. I don't expect somebody to pat me on the back and say, I did a really good job or I did a good job or that was a great idea. I don't need that. You know, I know who I am. I'm 63 years old. At this point, I know how good I am. I have a pretty good self-esteem, as you can tell. So, but when you get that, it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's pretty amazing when you feel so touched by their response to you getting sick that it's emotional. Like that's pretty special given that not, not many people can say that they feel that from 
you know, they feel that maybe from their spouses and their family and their friends, but it's very rare that people say, well, gosh, you know, the, the place that I work at, you know, it brings me to tears when I think of the, the way they've loved and supported me through this. You know, my wife and I were talking yesterday. I said, you know what, you know, I'm like three years and change away from like full retirement age. What if I told them in a year or two that, uh, listen, remember when I was sick and uh, I worked from home? Well, uh, how about if I work from home from Florida? or North Carolina, or South Carolina, can I do the same thing? She says, well, what do you think they'd say? I was like, well, I think they'd say, sure, why? <laughs> and that's an explanation. But it wouldn't be, I know you're out of your mind, you have to sit in your seat. You know, it's, uh, I think we've learned a lot, not only through COVID, with people working from home, although our company didn't, didn't close, we just had two thirds of the staff working from home, and then the one third would come in, and then the other one third would rotate out and come back in. They, they did a really good job with the COVID thing. So like working from home was not new to them, but I think working from home had COVID not happened, it would have possibly been different for them, how they would feel about somebody working from home all the time, seven days a week, you know, and I'm just blessed that throughout this treatment time that I've been able to get through chemotherapy and still work almost every day. You know, you're right because they've created that flexible environment for you. So you can keep yourself healthy. You know, like you said, you got to make sure you stay away from the germs right now, but also being able to get up and contribute in an environment that's not toxic, but is a healthy environment for you to show up to is also a healthy part of recovering from a, a difficult illness. You know, like that's what, what you're going through would probably be harder if you weren't able to go contribute and add value to something important. Yeah, my wife says that all the time. I uh, if I couldn't work or I couldn't contribute as much as I do, which is probably way too much. There's times that you know I, I'll, I get out of my seat. I start you know working at you know six o'clock in the morning. Sometimes I don't stop until seven at night. Uh, not not too often uh, since I've been sick, but there's times that I feel really good that I've been able to do that, and uh, I get yelled at by this same gentleman. Like, what are you doing? Like, well, I'm able to work today, so I forget I do it. You know, maybe tomorrow I'll take a longer lunch, <laughs> you know, and you go, yeah, do that. <laughs> so it, it's nice. But, you know, some of the things that I learned in my 20s, I had some horrible bosses, bullies, people that would fight. They would curse and yell and scream at you. There was no positive reinforcement. It was all negative. Why do you think that was? If you look back over the years of your career, what is it about that environment that, why did that work? Why was that even sustainable? Today, that sounds crazy, but I know because I lived in that work environment too. Like, why Why do you think that was? You know, there's, I, I thought about that. It, like, was it my fault? Did the, was I the one? I'm like, no, there's other people that he treats just as poorly. I, I guess that I'll blame it on poor parenting. <laughs> you know, you you think about, and and I knew him pretty well. I, I worked there for quite a quite a long time. The only thing I can think of is he learned that from somebody, somehow, some environment that he thought it was a okay to treat people like that, and he treated everybody like that, from his au pair to his ex wife to his, his yeah, just his his little child, always yelling up at you, put away your clothes, put this, put that, you know. So he was just a nasty man, and. You no, know, I was there for way too long, Christine. 
but did I gain a thicker skin from it? I don't know if thicker skin is the right term, but I, I did gain a, a conscience of I will never put up with this again. And I had not. I had not. But the other thing is, you know, coming out of my 20s, going to my 30s and 40s, I didn't realize what a political environment was in a company. Because at that point, I really hadn't been exposed to a heavy political environment you know, or, or the backstabbing or talking behind your back or taking credit for things that you did and somebody else would take credit for it. It was like a, a bad Lifetime movie at times. Some of the things they were just along the way, unwilling to listen. It was their way or the highway. You know, it's it was just not a comfortable environment. But again, if you want to survive in that particular arena back then, you had to deal with it you know keep your head down go onward that's one of my favorite expressions onward i use it a lot uh, especially now <laughs> i do have a couple of favorite expressions um, do do share do share careful of the toes you step on today it might belong to the butt you have to kiss tomorrow <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> yeah that's that's one of my favorites i've taught that to my kids it's never, this is one of my favorites, and people don't understand what this means generally. It's never what is, it's only what's perceived. So if you thought you did a really good job, and your client, your customer, your boss, your company, or anybody else that you work with thinks you don't, it's, you know, it's not, it's not a uh, screaming match that says, you know, how wrong you are. It's like, look, they perceive it as, you know, not not a good thing. And even though you think it is, doesn't really matter what you think. It's what's who perceives it. Oh, if you think you did really good at your job and your numbers are up in sales and your customers like you and your boss comes in and says, listen, I talked to a bunch of your customers. They don't like you. What makes you think that your customers like you? No, I don't know. I kind of thought I was doing a good job. Well, they don't perceive that. And I, and I stole that perception, you know, they don't perceive that. So I said, all right, well, it's never what I think or never what is. It's only what they perceive. That's really helped a lot. It helps you not kind of like overcount your own perspective against those of those around you, right? It's like, it's a smart way to keep in mind that it's, it's multiple perspectives that kind of make up reality. Right, which goes back to that lesson learned philosophy. If people don't think they made a mistake and you're going to use it as a lesson learned opportunity to say, look, all right, you screwed up, you messed up, you made a mistake, no big deal. All right, let's find out why. And is it my fault? Did, did I not teach you right? Did we not teach you right? We, you know, where's the shortcoming here on our side? What could we do better? And you want to talk about changing the perception. You know, when people go into those meetings or they, they hear you on the phone, they're like, rut row, you know, a little Scooby-Doo, right? Rut row, I'm in trouble. And, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 seconds into the conversation, it's like, wow, I didn't think that was coming. You know, they're, they're asking me for what I thought and how it could be avoided going into next time. And it's an open conversation as compared to a beration or a demerit, uh, you know, going back to that Steve McQueen movie a long time ago, you know, a dink for being, 
you know, that, that and that's not how it works. You know, if you, if you talk to some of the people in our company and some of the companies I worked for in the past, you know, who's our worst employee? Well, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But some people would answer that very differently. Oh, it's 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 Jack. He's you know, he keeps doing this, you know, and, and that's a shame that that happens. And then in, in an instance, when I was working for a firm for quite a long time, I went and talked to Jack and I said, dude, what, what's going on? You know, why, why do you keep doing that? He goes, oh, I have bad hands. And every once in a while when I'm holding something, my hands just go. I'm like, oh, have you had anybody take a look at it? I'm like, no. I said, well, he keeps dropping stuff on his feet and, uh, you know, broke a toe, broke a metatarsal. And it's happened three times in two years. I'm like, okay, so now I know. So as an owner uh, of the company back at that, I, I came back and I said, look, Jack, Jack needs help with his hands. And they said, well, what do you think we should do? I said, tell him not to pick up anything over 20 pounds. And I don't think there'll be a problem, not a 45 pound manhole cover. You know, but had I not done that, had I not realized that they perceived him as a problem child, if you will, and and a liability, and now we know why, but no one's ever asked them that. They just say, oh, you keep your cluts or you keep doing that or, you know, there, there was no understanding why it happened. I think understanding that people are going to make mistakes for human and lesson learns, understanding perception teamwork environment, the things like that, that, that I foster. And then you're going to probably the next question, you're going to say, okay, what, what's your worst trait? You know, and my, uh, this comes up a lot, you know, I'm too nice. I'm not, I'm not the jerk. I, I don't know when to put my foot down. I certainly don't to pull the ripcord, but I don't know when to put my foot down. And then, then there's a difference as we know. And, and that, and that's a fine line to understand Pulling the ripcord is really understanding, you know, when do I need help and when do I realize I'm in trouble that it's too late or just about to. And, uh, you know, again, lesson learned. How do you preemptively make sure that that doesn't happen again? Well, we all know why. Just understand your process from the beginning and realize that if there is risk, where, where is it your fault for risk? Is it someone else's? It's uh, do things come up? that you need to understand that you don't, but you think you do, ask for help. And I think that's where uh, my current boss and the people that are I'm surrounded with, they always ask questions. We always ask and challenge each other. A, a great example is we're, we're doing a project where we have a lot of concrete that needs to be repaired. And we said, okay, that's cosmetically making sure it's stable on the outside. But how do we fix to make sure that two years down the road, three years down the road, that there's not a problem and it doesn't come back on us because we did the work, even though at that particular point, we're going to say, OK, it's you know a foot below the work we did. So we decided to talk to our client about risk versus reward for them. Do we spend the extra time and money to make sure that the concrete is in good condition a foot below as compared to uh, uh, you know just on the surface that we did some cosmetic repairs and that conversation went well but um again going back to the end of a project it's not when you finish work it's years down the road since your name your company's name is on that project 
no one's going to remember, oh, you only did the cosmetic work. You didn't do the other concrete work that should have been done. It's our fault. So um, I think that's where my experience has come in that, you know, you got, you got to think down the road where you, and, and then, of course, documenting everything is another whole thing that I brought there that, you know, everybody was documenting things on their dailies or casual conversations. So we cre we created a number of things internally, at least for me, that I would document everything through email. So and it's searchable as compared to a text or a picture or a piece of paper in the paper file. So it's um again lessons learned over 30, 40 years of you know document everything. As I'm getting older, you know, there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, first thing you that goes when you get older is your memory and the Second one is, third <laughs> one is. Uh, yeah, call me when you remember, right? <laughs> I just think that the communication, lesson learned philosophy, listening to ideas, spitballing, as they say, big one for me with everything else combined is it's a non-judgmental atmosphere. Nobody says, that's a stupid idea, you idiot. You don't hear. And I, and I don't ever expect I'd hear that that's really nice and that's throughout the 40 year old company but maybe maybe that's why we all get along so well good listener flexible even before i got sick the support was there he's not a bully he's he he never says i'm the smartest guy in the room and he doesn't act like that he's technically oriented but you know he doesn't throw up all over you with everything he knows which is one of the most annoying things ever I just, I, I think it's amazing. And I think, you know, given what you're going through, I feel like that tells even a deeper level around the commitment and the character of the people around you, because it's not just sunny days, right? It's like there's dark days and there's reasons why I'm sure it's inconvenient for you to be sick. And it's not, you know, obviously you're, you know, you matter. And so they don't, they'd like you to come back, but you know, in the meantime, they're struggling because your work is not being done, you know, at the same level. And so it just speaks so much to how they respond to that. I've shared a story before where I went through a concussion and I had two different leaders I was working with one who, you know, dragged me out of bed for a 5 a.m. call because he was working in Germany and then berated me because there was something wrong with the slide deck. And I was mid concussion and I'm going, I don't even know what my name is right now. So like, I, this is really frustrating. And he knew it. I had, I had already asked to, to move the meeting, but it was, you know, to him, it was like, we need this project done. And then the second leader who I spoke with that day, or right around that time, I said, I, I just suffered a concussion and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having a rough week. And he actually said, I, I want you to invoice me right now. The last thing I want you to worry about is money. Like I want you to take as long as you need, get fully better, and we'll just make it up down the road. And just the 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 you first, like, you know, genuinely his highest priority was making sure that I was healthy. And then secondary, it was getting the project done that we were working on together. But for him to just be so conscious of that human element it spoke volumes, right? And it was so interesting because it wasn't, a, it, it sounds like common sense, but then meanwhile, I literally got on a call with somebody who woke me up, you know, who said, well, the only time convenient for me is 5 a.m. your time. 
And then I'm on a call at 5 a.m. And, you know, something was wrong with the slide deck. And he just decided that that was going to be a 20 minute berating concussion and all. It just didn't matter, you know? And I was like, this is really so interesting to have these two very vast different experiences. And I've had, Christine, and, and I'm sure you have too, we've had really good positive experiences in our career, and we will have other positive experiences. But I think we remember the negative ones more, whether it be due to lack of understanding or wow, that came out of left field. I don't know where that expression came from, but you know, it's like, wow, that kind of, where the heck did that come from? When those surprises happen, uh, I, I want to dive into it. One of the other expressions I use is postmortem doesn't mean after death. It just means after you're all done, whether you made mistakes, made the profit you're supposed to make, or the client was happy, you have to deal with the positives and the negatives, the goods, the bads, the, wow, we could have made a lot more money over there if we had done this. So it's, you know, like the if end scenario. If we did this and we did that, other people, when you say you're going to do a postmortem, like, you know, at the end of a project, they're going to actually talk about the project being, you know, how you created death, you know, and it, and it's amazing that people view things differently. If you look up, talk to different age groups, different experiences, and you say, I'm going to do a postmortem with you, they get all uh, frazzled. They're like, well, what's that? Or there, this goes back to that perception word again. What do they perceive as a postmortem? All right. In the past, people are going to get blamed. Heads are going to roll. Fingers are going to be pointed, right? Postmortem. It's not like that for, for my career in the last, I don't know, 20 years. It's been a, okay, we did well here. We didn't do well here. Let's see if there's any uh, SOP, standard operating procedure. If there's a, an SOP that needs to be revised, changed, added, deleted, you know, or process uh, that needs to be updated, you know, let's do it. Let's understand. Um, a lot of people don't. They just want to know, okay, we were supposed to make 32% profit. We only made 21. All right, tell me why. And that's it. Okay, great. Off the call. I've been on calls like that. When you get off the call, I'm like, they don't want to hear anything else. And I'm like, okay, short-sighted stole ideas and took credit for it themselves and didn't give you credit for it. Idea thieves, they're all over the place. I, I was just at a conversation not that long ago with somebody who was taking quite a bit of credit for something. And I was just reminded, I was reminded that it had been a while since I went through that and how wildly frustrating it is to sit on a call and have somebody brag about their great idea of it. <laughs> You you had been championing for much longer than they've even been in the role. Yeah. And the, the beauty of all this, even before I got sick, I don't worry about that now. I've been I've been here two and a half years and I I don't worry about spewing my ideas and being, you know, you're an idiot or where'd you get that idea from? You know, go back to the ice cream parlor and write it down on a napkin and throw it away. Um again, some of the expressions that people have thrown at me, you know. That's not a good idea, but go back to the ice cream parlor with the five-year-olds, write it down on a napkin and throw the napkin away next time you have an idea like that. I've never heard that before. Well, you've know, got to consider the source. That that one wins top condescending statement of, you know. Go back to the ice cream parlor, sit down with the five-year-olds, write it down on a, on, a, on a napkin and then throw it away. Next time you have an idea like that, go back and do the exact same thing. I don't want to hear it in my car. 
That one's the, that's pretty bad. So just as we come to close, Stephen, is there a kind of words or wisdom? I, I have a lot of leaders that are out there trying to be the best that they can. I think you've shared a ton of insight. I also think, I hope we've really inspired some people to think about how you show up for your employees. First of all, before something happens, right? Before, you know, a life catastrophe comes your way. But I love that it sounds like you didn't have to worry about being supported in that moment. You kind of knew you were going to be supported. And then they just blew you away with all the extra love and support they brought to the table that you didn't even expect. I think that's an incredible testament right there for leadership. I, I think for for leadership, for whether you're, you know, at, at the uh, Elon Musk level, not that they would care at that level, or at my level or other people's level, I, I think that what we had talked about a little bit ago, it's not what is. It's what's perceived. So if you're thinking you're doing a good job with the people, you think you're managing them correctly as a boss, as a leader, you think, all right, let's hit the five top points. Am I leading by example? Yes. Are my people doing well? Yes. Are they showing up for work and not taking every single day? That's another pet peeve of mine. Every single day that they're entitled to. Are they doing that? Are they really working hard? Do they really understand what I expect of them? Of course they do. Um, and do I talk to my people on a regular basis and I don't berate them? I don't treat them as small. I don't do that. So if I do all the, that, those five things, but my staff, my team, they don't think I'm like that. Well, how do you figure that out? I think that's the biggest challenge as a leader is you think you're doing a good job. And that goes back to that one of my favorite expressions. It's not what is, it's what's perceived. How do you figure out what that perception is? And if you do figure it out, how do you do a course correction? You know, a couple of the, couple of the, the tools we have in our toolbox is, you know, the lesson learned thing. Uh, talk to them as human beings. Sit down with them individually. Don't talk to them in, in an open environment. That good is another one of those expressions. You know, the ambiguity of the written word, you know, the tone of an email can be misconstrued. Sure. We know that because we communicate via email. I think that's the toughest thing as a leader. Whether you think you're doing a good job or not, your bosses, do they understand you? Do they support you? Do they really understand what your job is? And you understand what your job is. And is, is the perception both ways going up as it is going down to your staff, your support team? You know, I think that's the hardest thing for any leader. I, th I think in the mid-level and maybe upper-level environment, uh, I don't know if it would go, go all the way up, you know, the Elon Musk of a $20, $30 billion corporation. But I, I've worked for $15 billion corporations and met with the chairman of the board. It was an interesting conversation in his office in India. Very cordial, nice, wanted to hear what I had to say, and then told my bosses, he's a keeper. So. My perception of that meeting way back when was, yeah, I was a little nervous, but I think I did okay. But then to have that trickle down, you know, he's a keeper. Right. That was that was nice to hear that. So you know, some bosses get it and, uh, you know, it might not be the positive reinforcement that, you know, some people demand. And we know people like that, don't we? 
They mm-hmm. need to be constantly reminded about how good they are and you're such a value to the team. Okay, great. But when you get information like that, that that's really important for me. And I, I think for most, especially today, everybody's the ones that want to work. We'll leave it at that. They want to work harder. They want to get new training. They want to understand how they can better themselves. They want to, you know, climb. They want to get experience. They want to be better at their job and and be better for their company to be a uh, a better tool in the toolbox for them. And I think that's a good portion, but not the portion that I really wish people would step up. And, you know, so many people are, like I said, it's a, I'll give you a, a two minute example. There was uh, somebody that was hired as a receptionist for a company. And one of the added responsibilities was, can you do me a favor at night? The, the the cleaning people that we have to come in here, the one that used to be here, she's no longer available. She's going back, uh, you know, to her other job. So we have a little for like the next week or two until they find somebody. So they they went around and they say, okay, this needs to be wiped down. This needs to be wiped down, and then please take out all the trash. Okay. So person comes back in the next day and she goes behind the reception desk and the trash can is still there. But the other trash cans are all empty. So the person was asked, why is this trash can full and the other ones are all empty? Well, you didn't tell me to empty that one. Now, I don't know how everybody that's listening to this is going to take that, but that's just ridiculous. They don't go one step forward. I'll never forget that example when uh, when somebody told me that. I was like, seriously? He goes, yeah, yeah. You didn't tell me to do that one. They kind of missed the bigger inspiration behind the job. But this was very, like I said, so fun. I'm really glad that you took the time. I know you're in the middle of going through a lot of medical treatments right now. And so I appreciate that you took the time. And I do think it's really special that you took the time to call out the great work that your leader is doing right now, leading you, because we need people to think. We need leaders that show that kind of compassion and leadership. I think a lot of people are scared that if they're too compassionate, that somehow the results aren't going to be there or the the business is going to go belly up. And I think um, your boss is showing that that's not even close to the case. So you want to know his name? If you'd like to share it, we'd love to know. His name is Robert Gauff, G-A-U-P-P. And he's a division manager for uh, the company I work for, which is AWT Environmental based out of Aldbridge, New Jersey. Wonderful. And can we send him a shout out on LinkedIn? Sure. Amazing. I just would love to, you know, all of us have had those bad bosses, but it's really fun to cheer on the good ones. So it sounds like he's made a massive impact on you. And I, I, I can feel it when I'm listening to you. Yeah. Amazing. All right. I'm sending you the warmest wishes for healthy, healthy, healthy months and years ahead. And again, thank you so much for taking the time, Stephen. Thank you for including me. Hopefully uh, I make some impact for people that listen. Absolutely. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.